the series is Three Steps to Victory. Um, I believe there's, there's three very important steps that every believer needs to experience victory in their life. And so for the next three weeks, I'm going to give you each one of those steps to gain victory in your life. Why do we need victory? Well, you need victory because if you realize it or not, you're in a war. You're in a spiritual war, the Bible says. And if you're in a war and you're going to be in war, then you need to have a, a, a plan for victory. Every one of us needs a plan for victory. So let me make this real personal right from the get-go. What is your personal plan for victory in your life? What is your plan? Do you even have a plan? Maybe you walked in today, and listen, this is totally okay. Maybe you walked in today, and you didn't even know you needed to have a plan. I hope by the time you walk out, you got a plan, and you know how to execute it, and immediately you start to gain some victory in your life. I hope you came expecting to get something today. So I believe these three steps will give you victory in the areas that you need it. Every one of us can use some victory in some area. Let me say that one more time. Every one of us can use victory in some area. No one in this room is perfect. We are being perfected. From victory to victory to victory. Amen? We all need victory. If you think you got your stuff together, you need to be delivered of pride. That was a good place to say amen. So what kind of war are you in? You're in a spiritual war. You're not in a flesh and blood war. We, we quit punching people in the nose when we got saved. Right? We quit cussing people out when we got saved. Yeah. <laughs> Some of you need to make that confession this morning. <laughs> Some of you are like, hey. Man. <laughs> Some people call it a battle of the mind. Some people call it a battle of the heart, but it's even a battle of the soul. Your enemy is, he's got a name. His name is Satan. I don't want you to be ignorant of the fact that you have an enemy and what his name is. You see, we're not afraid to talk about him. We just don't give him any glory. But you need to talk about him. Why? Because he's your adversary. He's the one you're going to battle against. And any good general, any good commander is going to study his enemy to some degree so that he can create the victory plan that he needs to gain the victory in his life. Amen? You don't need to just go in blind thinking that you're going to win no matter what. You need to know who your enemy is. He has one plan for your life, and it's to steal, kill, and destroy. He doesn't like you. He don't care about you. He's been mad at you since you got saved. He's no respecters of persons. He doesn't care about your feelings. He doesn't take a day off. The Bible says that he's cunning. He's crafty. It says this, that he even walks around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he can devour. So today we need to leave the ignorance in the room and we need to walk out of here knowing that we got an enemy that needs to be defeated, but that we can defeat him because we're called believers. Amen? Amen. He can be defeated. If, you're, if you've given your life to Jesus and you're born again, you can have victory over him today. He will do anything to accomplish his goal. One of the things that he wants to do is he wants to defile you. He wants to defile you. What does that mean? He wants to come in here and he wants to get into your life and he wants to begin to spoil the promises of God. He wants to mar your life. He wants to leave some marks on you. 
He wants to impair you. He wants to degrade you. He wants to pollute you. He wants to violate you. He wants to make you impure. This is what it means to defile you. That is what he's trying to do. You need to be aware that he's trying to defile you. He's trying to make you believe that you're less than what God says that you are. Jesus said this in Mark chapter 7, verse 15. He says, it is not what goes into your body that defiles you. You are defiled by what comes from your heart. He was having an argument with some religious folks. Him and his disciples were walking through a field. His disciples grabbed a couple of heads of grain and ate them as they were walking. The religious folks come up and say, your guys don't even follow traditions. And they're making this big old ordeal about a technical little thing. And it upset Jesus. And Jesus said, listen to me. It's not what goes into you that defiles you. That just passes on to the sewer. He actually said that. He said, it's what comes out of your heart that defiles you. How does our heart become defiled. Well, that brings me to the title of my message today. The first step to victory is to stop believing the lies. Stop believing the lies. You might ought to look at your neighbor and say, it's about time to stop. Your heart becomes defiled when you start believing the lies that the enemy or people have spoken over you. Those lies, when spoken over you, tend to come inside and try to make a home inside of you. They want to get comfortable inside of you. They want you to learn how to live familiar and live comfortable with the lie. Because as soon as you start to live comfortable with that lie, it gets in your heart. And then what starts to come out of you is different than who you used to be. Your heart. It's what comes out of you from your heart that defiles you. They're lies that were told to us, maybe even lies that were spoken over us, or even lies that we believe about ourselves. Unfortunately, the enemy is not the only one speaking lies over you. People do too. And unfortunately, we believe lies on our own. When a lie gets into your heart, it begins to do a work in you. Watch this. Truth gives life and freedom. Lives, lies give death and bondage. You cannot afford to live with the lies any longer. I'm going to say that to this side because that side was half asleep. You cannot afford to live with the lies any longer. You cannot tolerate them any longer. They need to die. Amen? They need to die. You can't afford it. You can't tolerate it any longer. Why? Because here's the truth. One of the first steps towards sin is believing a lie. As soon as you start believing a lie, you're taking the first steps towards sin. And that's what the enemy wants to do. He wants to get you into sin, and he wants to put this condemnation and bondage and captivity on you so that you're rendered useless. So that even in your own mind, you think that God cannot use me because I'm too dirty. I've gone too far. I've messed up now. The funny thing is, though, is if you'll begin to listen to yourself and how you talk and think, 
you begin to identify some of the lies that you believe in. The funny thing about lies is when they get inside of you, they got to come out. They don't just stay. They've got ADD. They got to get out. You can't keep them in the house. They're going to come out. They're going to slip out. That's why we have triggers. You know what triggers are? Are something that bumps you, and the boom, here comes the lie. Unfortunately, people can be triggers. <laughs> they never stay put. And Jesus said, when they come out, that is what defiles you. Listen to how Jesus describes the enemy, Satan. I love this, John 8, he says, He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Here's a good question for you. Who are you listening to? Let me give you a couple of lies that I've believed over the years. There's a ton of them. I could back up an 18-wheeler load and dump them on the, on the front lawn, and they would be all over the place. I've believed lies many times in my life. And honestly, still today, it's a battle not to believe lies. But let me give you three lies that just kind of stuck out to me that I've wrestled with over the years to maybe just give you a better understanding of what I'm talking about. A couple years back, about 18 years ago, uh, the enemy started lying to me. Satan started lying to me, telling me that Cheryl was going to die early. I don't know where it came from. I don't know how it got in my head. I don't know what, what happened. Nothing happened. She's never really been in an accident. But, but for some reason or another, I started believing that she was going to die early. And I would hear him, and it's so vivid today, but, but back in those days I couldn't recognize it, but I would hear him say, every time she left the house, she's going to get in an accident. Something's going to happen. Then this is what he would also say. You know, you're going to have to, you're going to, have to find another wife. Now that's a bad lie. You know why? Because that lie can take you in many different directions, but the two directions it was pulling me was one direction was to live a life of fear, and then that would eventually turned into bondage where I would have held Cheryl captive and not let her go anywhere is because I was scared to death that something would happen to her. Then he could have took me the other way thinking, well, I need to start finding this new wife. I don't know about you, but I like to get my Christmas presents early. If I believe the lie that my wife is going to die, then I'm going to start looking. I'm just getting honest. That's what was happening. What does that do? That wrecks my marriage. That destroys my family. That was one of the lies. It's broken. I found myself begging God every time she drove out the driveway to bring her home safely. Begging him out of fear, not out of trust. Second lie I believed is, and this one was spoken over me as a kid, I was, you see, I was raised by two women, and my closest uncle was a gay uncle. I didn't have much masculinity in my life, so I thought, but the reality is, is my grandmother had six sons. Five of them were straight and mean. One of them was gay and nice. My five uncles who were mean began to speak things over me. Mama's boy was a trigger in my life. I beat several of my cousins up because they called me mama's boy. 
please don't call me mama's boy. Don't you dare. I know him. He'll do it in a light and funny way. <laughs> I saw his wheels were turning. Hmm, mama's boy, huh? They told me I would amount to nothing. I was useless. You can't do anything right. You know what this lie did to me? It caused me to outwork it. It caused me, it caused me to outperform it. It caused me to go to extremes and sacrifice everything else to prove them wrong. And I spent many years of my life missing out on the goodness of God of raising a family when they're young and enjoying them while they're young, trying to outlive this lie. It stole from me. And then here's the most recent one. I'm currently 45 years old. I know I don't look it. I look more like 25. I just grade early. You see, my mom and both of my grandfathers died at the age of 45. I think two to cancer and one to diabetes. So on one side of my family, I've got cancer and diabetes and leukemia that runs. On the other side of the family, I've got heart issues and cancer that run on the other side. So at the age of 44, the enemy starts to lie to me. He says, you know, your mom and your grandfathers died at 45. Your birthday's coming. Something's going to happen to you. And you know what happened to me? Is I started to believe it. You know how I realized I started to believe it? Because I started to expect something to happen. Now, don't, don't give me this. is kind of awkward. But on the one hand, I knew that God could deliver me from anything. But on the other hand, I was sitting there and the enemy was building this expectation in my mind that I'm going to be diagnosed with something, but I'll have to trust God to get victory over it. But that lie broke also. I'm 45, the year's almost over with. I've got six more months to go. I ain't worried about it. This is what the Lord's telling me today. You don't belong to that family anymore. You've been adopted into my family. Cancer doesn't exist. Leukemia doesn't exist here. Diabetes doesn't live here. You've been adopted into a new family. Amen? It's broken. I will not walk in fear. I will live to be old. Those are just a few of the lies that I've believed over the years. And just to try to show you an example of how the enemy comes in and he tries to divert your attention. He tries to distract you. He tries to take you in a different direction. He's always, always, always trying to defile you. To get you to a place where you feel like even God can't use you. But let me remind you, he used a donkey in the Old Testament. And you might feel just a half step up from a donkey, but let me tell you something, God's going to use you. <laughs> so let me give you three ways that we open the door to the enemy. If you're taking notes, here we go. Number one, we open the door to the enemy with the sins that we continue in. There's some sins that we persist in some sins that we continue in if you know that it's sin but you just continue in it anyway you're opening the door to the enemy 
All of us, all of us can persist in a sin. But all of us, if you're a believer, can break that in our lives. We can overcome that. All of us can continue to sin even though we know it's sin. But when you do, you're opening the door for the enemy to come in and cause mischief in your life. Let me give you just one example of one sin that that's possible with, and that's the sin of unforgiveness. Listen to what Paul says to the church in Corinthians. He says, so if you forgive him, I forgive him. Don't think I'm carrying around a list of personal grudges. The fact is that I'm joining in with your forgiveness as Christ is with us, guiding us. Here we go. After all, we don't want to unwittingly give Satan an opening for yet more mischief. We're not oblivious to his sly ways. Oh, did you hear that? If we continue to sin, we continue to leave the door open for the enemy to come in and cause mischief. I believe this to be true. Satan does a lot of things on his own. But Satan also has a lot of help sometimes called us. We leave doors open. And we make it easy for him to get into our life and cause mischief. And you've been wondering, where's all this chaos coming from? Where's all this mischief coming from? Where's all this depression coming from? You left the door open. If you hold on to unforgiveness, Satan is coming in. You're leaving the door wide open. He'll come in and he'll begin to take advantage of you. Because he has an open door. Let me say this about unforgiveness. If you still find yourself rehearsing in your mind what you're going to say to that person the next time you see them, look at me, you have not forgiven them. If you're still rehearsing what you're going to say, how you're going to act, what you're going to do when you see them on Thursday... (laughs) You have not forgiven them. Because forgiving is releasing. Forgiving is letting them go and letting yourself go. Forgiveness is releasing both of you from this bondage called sin. Amen? But some of us don't want to forgive because we're afraid nothing's going to happen to those people. (laughs) Come on, some of you are some get me back people. Like, you mess with me, I'm going to get you. Before I die, I'm going to get you back. Some of you got a lot of vengeance in you. I know you. And some of you don't want to forgive them because you're afraid God's going to let them off the hook. Let me give you two things about that real quick. Number one, what happens to them is not your responsibility. That's God's. Let them go and let yourself go. Number two, if you refuse to let them go, something's probably going to happen to you. And they're going to sleep good. Watch this. You don't have to forgive people who are right. We only have to forgive people who have wronged us. Right? God knows they wronged you. You know they wronged you. Leave the consequences to God and move on with your life. You don't need to stay there wasting your time trying to get vengeance on somebody that you can't even get vengeance on. Because now you're going to get yourself in a situation where you're going to have to receive forgiveness. 
And the Bible says if you don't give forgiveness, you don't receive forgiveness. So number one, we open the door to the enemy with the sins that we continue in. Number two, with the words that we speak. Proverbs 18.21 says this, the tongue can bring death or life. I really, really want you to pay attention here. With the words that we speak, we can open the door to the enemy. Our words matter. Every one of them matter. I don't believe there are neutral words. I believe the tongue gives either life or it gives death. It does not give anything in between. Oh, that means you really got to watch your tongue. (laughs) Oh, this ain't bad. If it's not giving life, then it's giving. But some people have taken this too far. Let me talk about that for a minute. Some people have put such a tight perimeter on this teaching that you can't say anything realistic. Like if you got a bleeding nose, like you would be speaking death if you said, hey, can I get a tissue? My nose is bleeding. Some people go to that extreme with this kind of a doctrine. They'll take it to an extreme where you just got to sit there like a monk and while your nose is bleeding. If your nose is bleeding, say my nose is bleeding. (laughs) Amen. Our words matter, and our words can do things. It says that it can give death or it can give life, which means our words are powerful. Our words are not quite like God's words. God's words create things. God's word created the universe and and the planet that we live on, right? So we don't have that kind of creative power with our words, but we do have some power with our words. All we really need to focus on is just agreeing with the one who creates. Maybe reciting and repeating what the creator says and not what the enemy says. Proverbs 6.2 says, you are snared by the words of your mouth. You are taken by the words of your mouth. We can trap ourselves with our words. We can be taken away with our own words. Some of you are killing God's goodness in your life with your words. Some of you, God is trying to pour out blessings on you, but you like bug spray. Killing everything that he's trying to do in your life. We're not going to have enough for Christmas. Christmas is going to be horrible. You're killing yourself with your own words. It's important not to speak death over other people, but it's really important not to speak it over yourself. Meshach, you need to look in the mirror and speak a little bit of life into yourself because not everybody hears the voice of the Lord that needs to come encourage you. Sometimes you've got to encourage yourself. Sometimes you need to recite your Bible out loud. I'm an overcomer. I have the mind of Christ. I'm not crazy. You don't look like it. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. I'm not a kuyo. I will amount to something. Come on. Man, I didn't want to say this. Some of you 
need to do yourself a huge favor and shut up. And I say that with a heavy heart. I'm a shepherd that pays attention to the flock. And I might be running through the hallway like a madman on Sunday mornings trying to figure out if everything's going to go right, but I listen. Some of you walk in here speaking death. Some of you serve while speaking death. Some of you walk into a life group and you speak death. Do yourself a favor and at least shut up. And then do yourself another favor and start to speak God's word over your situation and not your thoughts over your situation. Amen? So just if all you can do is just shut up, then just shut up. I know that's not nice. But I would say it's true. I kind of like the old saying, if you, ain't, if you don't have anything good to say, don't say nothing at all. Because the people around you don't want to hear it either. But I wonder what it would like if you begin, what it would be like if you begin to speak God's word over yourself. We need to pay attention to what we say. We need to pay attention to our words. We need to take authority over the words that are spoken over us, over our families, over our friends. I've had people say things about my kids when they were young. Oh, man, that's a handsome little boy. But you better watch him when he's 16. He's going to be a little hellion. I said, oh, no, he's not. He's made in the image of God, and he's raised up in my house. Come on, somebody. See, my kids have no clue what we've done for them. No clue the lies that we've broken over them. How many times do they come when school's tough? I can't do it. I'm dumb. I can't figure it out. Ah. You're not dumb. You're just having a hard time right now. So pick your chin up. You're smart. Let's figure this out. One of them came to me one time. I don't have any friends. Nobody likes me. Well, the Bible says that if you're friendly, you will have friends. So how about you go to school tomorrow and you just be friendly. You be friendly and God will bring you good friends. And praise God it happened. They had good friends. I'm sure glad I spoke that over them. I'm sure glad I didn't leave them growing up with that lie. You need to pay attention to yourself. You need to pay attention to your spouse. And you need to pay attention to your kids. And then you need to pay attention to what's on the TV. I'm not going to go there. You need to pay attention to what's coming into your ears. And you need to take the authority that God's given you over that. If your kids say something that doesn't line up with God's word, you're responsible to break it. You're responsible to take it under authority. And you're responsible to teach them what that is. Whatever you tolerate will one day become truth to you or to your family. Jesus said in Luke 6.45, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good. And an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Listen to what you're saying. 
Is it Roundup or is it fertilizer? I just got to say, if you're going around beating yourself down with your own words, then the enemy's sitting on the sideline laughing at you. You're self-destructing. And it's time to stop. So number one, we open the door to the enemy with the sins that we continue in. Number two, with the words that we speak. Number three, with the thoughts that we think. Proverbs 23, 7 says, For as he thinks in his heart, so he is. Are you becoming the lies you're believing? It seems to me this verse is saying that our thoughts have a lot to do with our direction. It has a lot to do with our condition. And it has a lot to do with our purpose. Where is your mind going? Is your mind running? Does it just do its own thing? Is it a kid with no rules? Can it just run buck wild? Or does your mind come under your control? Who controls your mind? How many of you have laid your head on the pillow at night and you can't turn it off? You're worried about what's going to happen tomorrow. You're worried about what so-and-so said today. You got all these thoughts. You ever just want to sit up in the bed and go, shut up! Can I tell you, that's probably what heaven's screaming at you. Just shut up! Your thoughts left unchecked. Listen to me carefully. Your thoughts that are left unchecked will bring you down the wrong road. It could be a dead end. You need to check your thoughts. Don't let your mind run wild. It needs to be challenged. It needs to be confronted. It needs to be checked. Because as your thoughts go, so does you. You go the same way. That's why the Bible says to take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. Don't let them run wild. Jesus said in Mark 7, For from within, out of a person's heart, comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these vile vile things come from within. They are what defile you. They come from here. Look at me. They come from here. Do you know your heart thinks also? Do you know your heart speaks also? You got to take them captive before they get to here. This is the thing you got to protect the most. I could sit here and preach a message and say, you got to watch this. No, you need to watch this. Because this comes from this. It's true for me. These things can come out of my heart. I'm responsible for my heart. Listen to what Proverbs 4.23 says. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Wow. Guard your heart. It's the most vital thing that you have is your heart. Guard it. Don't let the enemy play with your heart. Don't let him tinker and and pull on and and be mischievous with your heart. Guard it. Look at me. You're responsible. Be responsible. Just be responsible for your heart. 
For some of you, today's the day it needs to stop. I heard heaven this morning say, it's got to stop today. It's going too long. How long are you going to tolerate it? How long are you going to continue to live this way? How long are you going to continue to let the enemy come in and mess things up? You can stop him. Stop him. You don't have to go one day longer. You want to know why? Because when this is left unguarded and we continue in sin and we continue to speak words of death and we continue to just let our minds run wild, you know what happens? We do become rendered useless because God could speak but we won't even believe that. God can lead but we won't even think that we can follow. I'm no good. I can't do it. I'm a piece of trash. I'm unworthy. Yeah, you're unworthy. That's right. But there was a high price paid for you to make you worthy. You were worth Jesus dying for. You were worth Jesus giving his life up for. You were worth God sending his only son for. Why don't we value ourselves like God values us? And guard our hearts. I'm not letting the enemy come in. I'm not leaving the door open anymore. I'm going to agree with heaven now. I'm going to take this book and in Psalms it says, how can a young man make his way pure? By, by, by hanging on to your word. Your word, O oh Lord, I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Your best chance at overcoming sin is to hide God's word in your heart. You can't get that just on Sunday. They ain't a preacher in the world that good. You're responsible. Be responsible. But listen to me carefully. You're not doing this on your own. You're not doing this solo. You are not Han Solo. You have a cloud of witnesses cheering you on. All of heaven knows your name. And they're saying, come on, T-boy, you can do it. Some of them sound like Bobby Boucher. <laughs> you got a cloud of witnesses cheering you on. You got a church family that loves you and is going above and beyond to help you. You've got the mind of Christ, the Bible says. Then you've got the free access to God's word anytime you want it. Maybe if we had to pay to read it, we'd start reading it more. You're not doing this alone. You're not by yourself. Listen to what Jesus said in John 8, last verse. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. What does truth do? Truth sets us free. What does lies do? Lies put us in bondage. Pay attention to your thoughts. Pay attention to your mouth. Pay attention to your heart. Amen? Let's pray.